right, it's time for some honesty. Not every founder is a whiz when it comes to finances. Sometimes we are too busy, sometimes we've got other priorities, and sometimes, if you are anything like me, sometimes we are just not number people. It's natural, but speaking from personal experience, it can also be really stressful, since knowing where your money's going is so important for any growing business. Clio, who happen to sponsor this podcast, are the solution that puts all of your spending in one place. Buy what you need with their smart credit cards, which are beautifully compatible with Apple Pay and Google Pay, I must add. Then snap the receipt with your phone instead of losing time to endless expense reports. Every purchase is tracked in the Plio system, so you can get the total picture of your company's finances, which means that there's no need to worry about late payments or surprise credit card bills. Oh, and Plio also now handle invoice processing and payments too. The very best bit, they are offering all she can she did listeners, if you are a new customer that is, your first three months of Plio for free. Just head to plio.io to set up a demo using the link in the show notes. And make sure to mention the She Can She Did podcast when prompted. Their amazing team are on standby to set you up with the offer, even if you happen to be listening to this episode months after its release. Before we start today's chat, I am so, so excited to reveal that She Can She Did has now rebranded to Candid, a new kind of networking for more candid conversations. Though this podcast will be keeping its original name, if you've resonated with our focus on cutting through the overnight success noise on here and want to connect with other women who are craving transparency and meaningful connections too, find out more about the Candid Network and why we're different by visiting meetcandid.com or come and say hello on Instagram. We're now at meetcandid. I'm on standby if you have any questions before you sign up and really do, fingers crossed, look forward to welcoming you on board soon. This week I sat down to chat with Sydney Samuels, the 24-year-old founder of Loop Not Luck, a diverse talent recruitment platform powered by artificial intelligence that helps talented, diverse candidates from low-income backgrounds maximise their chances of success by connecting them with employers who want to diversify their early careers talent pool with data-driven recommendations. Driven by her own experience entering the jobs market, I sat down to chat with Sydney about the personal journey she's been on so far and how she's tackling a systemic problem one baby step at a time. Her personal bio reads that she's simply trying to do some good. I can confirm, having spoken to her, that she most definitely is. This is Sydney's story so far. Sydney, I am genuinely so, so looking forward to this one. We have a shared mentor. So I've only actually just recently started working with Stephen, but I know that you've known him for quite a while. So in your own words, are you able to let me know who you are and what your business is all about and we'll go from there? Yeah, sure. So firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan, so I'm really excited to be here. So who am I? My name is Sydney Samuels. I'm 24. I'm the founder of Loop Not Luck, which is a diverse talent recruitment platform. And we help underrepresented talent find opportunities at organisations who are looking to diversify their entry-level talent pool and really take a proactive and holistic approach towards diverse recruiting. 
I mean, I'm the sort of person that genuinely believes that no matter what age you are, you know, if you're willing to work hard for something, you can go for it and make it happen. However, I do really want to be that person that, and I'm sorry to do it, you're 24. That is a big, big mission and like a big business. And it's also not straightforward to put that into practice. So where did this idea come from? Okay, so this might be a little bit of a long story. But I love a long story. <laughs> Stephen's actually a big part of this journey, so it's actually very relevant. So I grew up in Peckham slash Nunhead. I had a really enjoyable childhood and went to a school called Sydenham Girls. And then I went on to study English and philosophy at the University of Sheffield. And going from South London, which is like majority kind of like diverse and black, and then going to Sheffield, that was a huge, huge change of environment. And that's what really kind of, I guess, awakened me to kind of diversity and like that actually the world is bigger than London. And there are so many people out there that face different problems. So maybe like social mobility is a bigger problem within Sheffield than within London. So studying English and philosophy, I chose it because I enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew that if I was going to go to university, I wanted to study something that I really enjoyed and picked philosophy because I think I thought that it would help me figure out where I stood on certain things and my place in the world. But actually it just made me more and more confused because there's no definitive answer to any of these questions. So in my second year, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do post-graduation. And at that point, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do again. But one thing I did know is that I wanted to make some money. (laughs) So I kind of Googled like best paying graduate jobs and financial services was there. So I was like, let me explore this world. I also thought of it as kind of like one of the biggest challenges I could set for myself, because going from English and philosophy and but having no kind of background or kind of history or experience within financial services, I thought, you know what, this would be a big achievement and it would be a big challenge. And I applied for over 15 different summer internships and got rejected from all of them <laughs> because I had no experience and nothing on my CV that demonstrated that I was actually interested in this. And it's such a competitive process. Like people, even before going to university, they're going to event days and kind of insight days and things like that and trying to get their foot in with different employers to set themselves up for a graduate scheme later on down the line. So this is where Stephen comes in. So one of my dad's friends worked at a wealth management company where Stephen was the COO. And I kind of did some expense paid work experience there with him as my kind of boss. And they just paid for my kind of lunch and travel. And that was my first kind of real work experience within financial services. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then I used that experience. What as were you a, doing? Because financial services is big. You know, what was your actual role? It was a small wealth management company. So they focus on high net worth individuals and provide financial advice, investments in accordance with their risk targets and financial goals. Yeah, so I was doing that kind of lots of admin and stuff. But because it was such a small company, I got insight into pensions, I got into SIPs and ISAs and different things. I Like a completely different world that's kind of like the engine of the UK economy that I had no insight and no knowledge of before. And I was like, good financial education is really what distinguishes people's lifestyles later on down the line, because I guess when you're younger, you get your pocket money and you kind of spend all that you earn or that you get, where actually people who kind of maybe earn the same amount throughout their lives, if they save a lot more of that, they can live a better life and stuff like that. So I found it really, really interesting. And that's when kind of investments and financial management became quite a big part of my life and what I tried to do with my salary. Yeah, so that's what I was doing there. And I went back in my third year 
And I've always been quite entrepreneurial. So always had lots of different business ideas. I probably get at least like one a week and have to leave it to simmer for two weeks before I kind of explore it because you can't do a thousand things at once. And when I was younger, actually, I sent in my application to be on Dragon's Den. (laughs) And actually, they did a a children's version, like a children in need version. So you know how they get kids to go on MasterChef and stuff like that. They did a kid's version of Dragon's Den where kids pitched to the dragons and Peter Jones invested £1,000 in my first business. Oh my God, that's so cool. Can you see it? Can I watch it? It is on YouTube, but I will not give you the link because it is so embarrassing. Hey, my background's in research. I can 100% find that somewhere. (laughs) That's my homework for this weekend, Sydney. That's amazing though. What was the business? There was something called Funk Strap, which was actually the utility belts and things like that are really in fashion at the moment. So I was like, oh, I'm so, so ahead of the game. But it's like a utility belt that goes across your, kind of like a seat belt, like a strap that goes across you. And you can kind of keep all of your keys, your phone, like lip gloss, all of the stuff in there so that you never lose it. You can have your hands free. So for my nan, she was like always forgetting her keys, forgetting things. So I thought this would be quite a cool solution for her. And then also hopefully for like young people, just kind of like a fashion statement. So that's kind of where my entrepreneurial side was really like oh I can actually like make money and do stuff by kind of creating things Um, and that's kind of like a thread that's followed along my entire journey so far and now is really I guess starting to flourish and become part of my day-to-day life. So at university I'd done the work experience at the wealth management company and I had this idea to try and solve the fake news problem which this was just after Trump had been elected. So it was a huge news topic in terms of misinformation. And I was like, what can I do to try and solve this? And my friend Nelly and I, actually, we're living together (laughs) now. We just moved in. We came up with this idea called New Census, which was a kind of independent website where you could search a particular topic and then you could get a broad array of different kind of news articles, tweets, opinions across the entire spectrum. So to try and tackle the Facebook algorithm problem, which shows you information and kind of from news outlets that you already agree with. So it just reconfirms whatever biases or opinions you already have, rather than giving you a holistic perspective on a particular topic or situation. So I was exploring this idea and I got a notification on my phone. If I'm honest, I hadn't done much at university that day. So I was like, let me do one thing productive. And I went along to this employers on campus event. And that's when kind of like employers come along to the university and say, our company's great. We've got offices all over the world. Our graduate scheme's amazing. Like apply for our programs, et cetera. And they give a quick pitch. So I went along to this event. I'm pretty sure I was like one of two or three women in the audience. And lots of people afterwards were asking questions, but they were asking like silly questions. So like, oh, how do you think cryptocurrency is going to impact inflation? And just all things that actually, they didn't actually want an answer. They just kind of wanted to sound smart and interesting and say something. And I could kind of tell that this guy just, he was a very real person. His name is Andrew Lofthouse. And I kind of went up to him afterwards. I actually left and then gathered up the courage and came back to talk to him. And wasn't asking about Nomura. I was asking about his opinion on my business idea. And he found it really interesting. And we kind of built up a relationship over email. He then invited me on to a women in investment banking event held at Nomura, which is a Japanese investment bank. And I was on the train down from Sheffield Googling what is investment banking, (laughs) just trying trying to see. So I was like, oh God, I don't even know what I'm going to. I just went along to see what it was about. And because I kind of hadn't put that pressure on myself to think I need to get the job out of this event, I was that annoying person who was putting their hands up going, what about this? And what about this? And have you got this? And the woman who was head of corporate infrastructure recruitment, her name's Lani Stewart, she gave me her card and said, really like your energy, like apply for the graduate scheme and drop me an email when you've done it. 
And I guess because I'd had the experience at the small wealth management company, and I've also had made a good impression at that particular event, I used that as a launchpad to get onto the graduate scheme at Nomura. I told you it was a long story. <laughs> no, no, it all adds up, right? Yeah, it does. It's, they're all important pieces of the puzzle, which will kind of frame the journey and how we got to the end product of, of Loop Not Luck. And a couple of weeks into my kind of graduate scheme at Nomura, I was in these like glass shiny offices by the Thames with like a huge balcony that overlooked like London. And I was like, oh my God, little girl from Peckham, how did I get here? I love that so much. <laughs> and I kind of looked back at my journey and it was people like Stephen, people like Andrew, people like Lanny, who had taken a chance on me. And it was all down to pretty much luck, like luck that I saw that notification and decided to go to that Employees on Campus event. And luck that Andrew decided to kind of invite me to this Women in Investment Banking event and that I went along and, and that Lanny gave me a card. And I'm like, there's so many like serendipitous moments that led me to here. And when I look back at all the applications that I put into all of these banks and got rejected from, I'm like, I'm still the same person with the same potential, the same skills, the same capability. But it was pretty much down to luck as to how I got here. And I'm not negating the importance of luck in kind of careers because it's like networking and, and things like that. But actually, when you don't have that network to tap into, like innately, like your dad doesn't work in this particular industry or you don't have someone who can kind of give you that insider information, it's so much harder to get your foot in the door. Mm. And that's what inspired Luke Not Luck. I'm like, there's so many talented people who don't have that network, who are underrepresented within these industries, who will be fantastic and will actually benefit the organisations. Yeah, there are so many people who are just as talented as the people who do get these opportunities, but who don't have the network and don't have that kind of person who can give them that insider information and help them get their foot in the door in these industries. And I'm like, actually, there needs to be a solution to this because these organisations are saying we want diverse people. We want people from different backgrounds. And actually, there are so many studies that show people from different backgrounds give different perspective, diversity of thought and all that good stuff. And actually, there needs to be a tech efficient way for us to connect that underrepresented talent with these organisations who are genuinely looking to reach these people. Um, mm. And that's what Luke Not Luck does. I love it so much. And it just feels like just in the conversations I'm having with my boyfriend at the moment, like he is um, a big, he's a big, he's a big dog. He's not. He works for a big design company, product base, it's global. And alongside his main job, he's in their like DNI team at the moment. And one of their things alongside all the different variations of diversity that they're looking at, that he's heading up is how can we employ more diverse talent? Because you know what industries like so-and-so knows so-and-so, oh, I'll put a good word in, or they just target a certain university because there's a connection there that's already established. So they hire all their grads from x university or whatever it is and it's just like no wonder then that infiltrates through the company and you suddenly have a very undiverse company because of things like who are you graduating who are you letting in sorry you know on those grad schemes and it's just yeah it's really interesting like how the conversations are coming out just in in his workspace so yeah this all just feels very current at the moment from recent things but I'm really interested in Sydney when that idea what I love about this is it really, it all kind of pieces together that story. Do you remember the kind of moment it really popped into your head? And once the idea was there, that's a quite a chunky idea. So how did you go about turning that into a reality? There wasn't a definitive moment. The idea iterated. So the first idea was based off of my experience not being able to get a summer internship at a kind of large company. 
and I kind of came up with an idea of having a cross-industry ultimate summer internship where you could spend like two weeks in a law chambers, two weeks at a tech startup, and then maybe two weeks at a consultancy or like a media company or marketing company and really get a holistic understanding of different size companies, different industries to help frame what you wanted to do upon graduation. And then imagine if you've got three different internships over the summer at three amazing companies, that's going to be such a golden ticket for you to apply for graduate schemes and kind of aiming at people who don't have that network and those connections. The sentiment and the kind of seed of it was the same. But actually, I tried that. And to do something like that, you definitely need to have the connections and the reach and the scope and the kind of name brand and weight for organisations to kind of, I guess, give part of their summer internship intake to you. That is definitely something that I'd want to do with Loop Not Luck later on down the line, kind of do a Loop Not Luck internship. And actually, rather than just connecting candidates to organisations, actually creating opportunities ourselves to improve social mobility and diversity within the space. So it iterated a lot. The team changed a lot. So previously, it was a woman that I'd met through kind of some volunteering that I did at Nomura, and she had a similar idea that she got investment for, but then didn't come to fruition. And then my friend, but we all had a very similar skill set. And we kind of realized, okay, we need someone who has the tech side to them to be able to implement it. And those two ended up dropping out. And I was still really passionate about it. So I wanted to continue it. And I ended up continuing it just myself and my co-founder, Sarang. And we work so, so well together because he's got the technical skills and he's actually worked at a startup and they've successfully exited it. So he's got that experience of how to scale and launch a business. And I've got the kind of personal experience that underpins the reason and the mission behind the business. And then also the marketing, networking, strategy and stuff like that. How did you meet Saran? We met on a website called Founders Nation. So like where co-founders can meet each other. But this is the thing, though, about your story, Sydney. Like, yes, there is like luck there that you kind of so-and-so introduced you to so-and-so, but you were really proactive. Like, you haven't just sat on your bum and waited for this idea to piece itself together. You know, going and hunting down a co-founder that had the right skills to make it a reality, putting your hands up at the Nomura event to make sure that you were noticed. And yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for like the fact that you're really driving this, you know, it's amazing. And I'm really interested in your thought process when the two previous kind of co-founders dropped out, how that felt in the moment and how that shaped what you were looking for from whoever you decided to work with next. Yeah, I think that the kind of drive and commitment behind the business because it has been a while it's iterated so many times and when you're building a tech platform or tech product it does take so much time for you to iterate test and to do things like that building relationships with companies these are things that take time because you're actually trying to build rapport not just make a quick b2c sale and yeah so i think that because it's something i'm so passionate about i've never actually lost motivation maybe for like a week or so when i haven't done anything on it but actually when i think about what i want to do with my life Like, I'm going to have to work. I might as well work doing something that I really enjoy, that I feel is having an impact on the world and where I think my skill set lies. I think that all the other business ideas I've had, I wasn't the right person to execute that business, which is why it didn't work out, which is why I didn't push through different hurdles that I faced. And yeah, essentially why in some ways it just didn't work out or I kind of gave up because it wasn't right. But this one, it's like, I kind of know in my gut that it's the right idea. It's the perfect time on both sides of the market. 
like with Black Lives Matter and different kind of about the race report that came out a few weeks ago. Like it's just such an important time for actually a business that's run by people who understand the experience that you're trying to address. And yeah, and just the tech revolution that's happening in, in London, like all of the elements and the environment is perfect for something like this to actually take off at the moment. And to your second point about how I felt when the two other co-founders dropped out, I was upset initially, but I think it had been kind of building up for a while because I was that person who was like, have you completed this? When's this done? Blah, 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 blah. And it just wasn't happening. And I think it's a lot easier to be able to do things yourself and know that the responsibility lies with you than to have people who aren't as enthusiastic and who you're kind of waiting on and feel like you're nagging. You want people who are just as motivated, if not maybe hopefully more motivated than you to help execute and get things done. Otherwise, it's actually just holding you back. Mm. So it was definitely the right thing to happen. And I kind of know where my responsibilities sit and can do that. And Saran very clearly knows where his sit. So yeah, it was upsetting at the time. Maybe spent a couple of days being upset and then got on with it (laughs) for the best. I love that. So I'm interested then in what you said in that, did you literally just drop an email, like a kind of a web post saying, I'm looking for someone with technical knowledge? How did you pitch it? And also, it's just an idea. So you're kind of pitching this concept to a bunch of strangers and then asking them to come and join you on that mission. Like, how did you go about making that post sound interesting? Well, I kind of gave a quick description of the business, what it was then and kind of listed my requirements. And of course, the technical skills are an important part of it. But to be a co-founder, it needed to be someone who really believed in the mission and understood the business. And yeah, something where it's not just, okay, this is a way for me to make money and to get experience in a tech startup or something like that. I really wanted them to believe in the problem we were trying to solve and recognize that this was a problem in the industry and not just something that they wanted to do for a a kind of, I would say quick buck, but it's not a quick buck, (laughs) a long buck. (laughs) But yeah, so just kind of had meetings with lots of different people. And as you talk to lots of different people, you realize, okay, this is maybe something that I needed to put on my list of requirements for someone. But there's no kind of, you can't like be an architect of a co-founder or a person. You've got to, I think, follow your gut with a lot of different things. And Sarang, he was so proactive. He brought so many ideas to the table. Being a man of Indian descent, he understood the different complications that come with working and trying to establish a career within the UK. And he's got a, a young daughter himself. So he's like, it's something that actually hits home for him and that he's passionate about trying to do something to positively impact society for when his daughter's trying to enter the world of work and stuff like that. So having that personal relation or connection to the mission and the business was a really important part, as well as having the technical skills and experience to help the business grow and thrive. I love that so much. How long did it take to find him? I think a few weeks. Yeah, so we put the post out. He was one of the first to respond, had lots of different conversations with people, but he was one of the few that we actually met in person, went along to his offices. He was working at a WeWork offices then, got a room and we kind of got the whiteboard up and was mapping out everything. And it was pretty much like we'd already become co-founders. And yeah, it was, we just clicked straight away. That was, I think about November 2018. So we know each other well now. yeah, yeah. I love that so much. So he comes on board. Talk me through the process then of how you got the app platform off the ground, because I'm thinking there's an alarm bell going off in my head that it costs money. And, you know, 2018, you're what, 22 at this point. So how did you fund the whole thing? Well, I was on a good salary. And I guess the experience in terms of financial management, 
the stuff that I'd learned in my work experience and things like that. I was still living at home, so everything's been bootstrapped so far. We're aiming to raise investment, which Stephen's going to help me manage through the process. Are you going on Cedars? Hopefully, towards the end of this year. Amazing. But at the moment, we've been able to bootstrap from our salaries. I don't know much about the world of VC and investment. I've been attending loads of webinars and stuff to try and immerse myself in that world. Because again, it is such a who you know place. If you're an angel investor, if you're mates with someone who's quite high up at a VC, it's a lot easier to understand and navigate that landscape. But yeah, so everything's been bootstrapped so far. And something that I did want to do is I wanted to get it into as bigger and as best place possible on my own so that we can actually prove that it works and I guess give away as as little equity as possible. Because when it's still an idea that hasn't been proven, that's a huge risk for an investor. So if we can get it off the ground and prove the product market fit, that makes such a huge difference to our potential to raise later on down the line. So bootstrapped so far. I'm Shay Akiwowo, the CEO and founder of Glitch. Glitch is a UK charity that will make the internet a safer space for everyone. Through our campaigns, advocacy and impactful educational programs, our aim is simple. We want to transform the narrative around online abuse and highlight its disproportionate impact on women and marginalised communities. We hope our research, policy recommendations can persuade government and tech companies to make online spaces safer for all, especially women. People often tell us how surprised they are by the lack of support that exists for those who suffered abuse online, but we're here to help. To find out more about what we do, donate to fund a workshop or access our free toolkits, head to www.glitchcharity.co.uk. like all the user testing and getting because it's twofold isn't it you need the grads or the students on the one hand but you also need the big companies opening up their doors so how did you go about not just convincing them to kind of join you on this mission but also adding a kind of pricing structure in given that at the beginning of this you said that obviously like you wanted to earn money and a a business yeah it needs to earn something so (laughs) how we do that it's a chicken and egg situation. So the grads won't sign up unless you've got good opportunities on the platform for them. And companies won't sign up if you've only got five or 10 grads on your app because the likelihood of them hiring one of them is very low. So you need the scale on both ends. So it's about pretty much trying to hack one side of the marketplace. And the way we've done that is try to hack the student side by not just trying to just do like social media marketing and sponsored Instagram posts, get people to download our app but actually reaching out to societies, charities, organisations where our targeted talent pool reside, so people who are underrepresented, so ACS, women in finance societies and stuff like that, and not just going to the Russell Group universities, going to different universities where they've got a higher population of people from different backgrounds, educational and kind of ethnic. So yeah, so really trying to get multiple candidates with one introduction and building up from there. So building our wait list and stuff as we're user testing. So we're in user testing at the moment. We're launching in July 2021 on the App Store. 
and then the Android version is going to come shortly. And at the moment, we're kind of signing up our first kind of founding Loop Not Luck members. And it's really about, because we haven't necessarily got the stats, we've got our talent pool numbers and stuff like that, and the breakdown of how diverse that is. But we haven't got the statistics to prove how our business is going to benefit their business. So it's really about building those relationships with people and kind of winning over their hearts and minds and actually establishing that, okay, this is a problem. We've come up with a fantastic solution for this. And it is a risk. You join us before launch. Are you ready and willing to take this small risk with us? Yeah. And it depends on the organisation. Traditionally, they're very risk averse, but we want to work with organisations who recognise that actually saying that we don't get the applicants is not a good enough excuse. You need to proactively go out there, reach these communities, and Loop Not Luck is a catalyst for being able to do that. So if this is really on their agenda and they really want to do it, it's a very small kind of drop in the bucket in terms of their finances and their budget for them to be able to potentially reach so many different people who they would have never reached before and who would have never known about their business and the opportunities that they provide for entry-level talent. So yeah, it's really about making sure that that pitch is solid to organisations and that we can really build up that rapport and that trust for them to be the first investors in our business, essentially. And yeah, really kind of making sure that those founding companies were really delivering for them. So as well as us providing a service, we're asking for them to give consistent feedback so that we can improve our product and really solve the issue for them, not just them to pay their fee and for us to kind of be like, all right, that's it. (laughs) 100%. It's so true. Like I remember pitching to the brands last year before we launched the benefits program and like just trying to, yeah, just convince them to get behind it and why they should when it didn't exist elsewhere. And it's a really, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think for us, I don't know about you, but for every yes, I think we launched with just over 50, some just over 70 now, but like for every yes that I had, there are about four or five no's or didn't even respond to my email or LinkedIn and stuff. So it's really, you have to kind of hold your nerve, right? Yeah, 100%. And it's such a knock in confidence because if we don't get companies on board, the business isn't going to make money. So it's, it's our revenue model. So we need, to, we need to prove it, but it's, it's about doing all the groundwork in terms of building up that talent pool, getting that data and information on them and really kind of learning from those no's. I've always struggled a little bit with the whole office politics and how I guess in the corporate world people don't necessarily say no they just say oh this is interesting we'll think about it and then they just don't respond to any email (laughs) literally that (laughs) I'm such a straightforward upfront person that I guess I've had to build up that business persona in terms of understanding how to navigate those conversations without being too so what do you think (laughs) just tell me (laughs) is it a yes or no and if it's a no why and if it's a yes why (laughs) Yeah, and I think that a big part of me trying, me actually getting companies on board has been learning how to navigate that B2B sales process, which I have absolutely no experience with. So just really calling on mentors and people who have done B2B sales and really trying to understand, okay, so what is the process? What are they expecting? Like making sure that we're fully compliant with GDPR and how do we invoice clients and stuff like that? How do we get the contracts sorted? will they come back with edits for the contracts and if so I need to budget that into our financial forecasts in terms of like going back and forth and just understanding that whole process so that we seem as professional as possible even though it's the first time that we're doing something like this yeah so uh, definitely getting the companies on board has been slash is one of the biggest priorities at the moment as we've run up to our proper app launch and how many have you got on board so far We've got four on board so far. Amazing. But the thing is, it's completely different to 
what I'm doing, but they're paying to be on board, aren't they? So they really are super buying into this. And I'm intrigued. How long did it take to get the first one to say yes? And did it help convince others? Yeah, so it takes a few months. So we've got, what we're trying to do is, so for our founding company, so we've got quite a lot of different industries, but we're only taking on one corporate and one SME per industry, who are going to essentially be the loot not luck kind of representatives for that industry. So one big consulting firm, one small consulting firm, one big financial services, and one small financial services, same in kind of marketing, etc. And yeah, I think that that exclusivity in terms of their competitors are not going to be founding members and not going to have access to the same talent pool was a big draw. And also, I guess, these are going to be our core client base and our core customers so their ideas and what they say that they want because they've kind of bought into us and believed in us pre-launch they're kind of going to be the ones that we try and service as best as possible and before we try and get a hundred different companies on board because that takes time that takes money that takes investment so yeah trying to just for the few customers that we've got really really deliver Mm, make them feel special yeah, exactly. And I'd much rather have like a medium-sized recurring customer than a large one-off customer. And it's about not just winning the business, but also keeping it. Yeah. So yeah, I really want us to be able to say to them, and for them to be able to say to us that like, we're so happy we took this small leap of faith joining you pre-launch because we really reaped the benefits tenfold of what your app and your like, technology has been able to do for our recruitment process. I love that so much. Talk me through what you have found to be the biggest challenge so far since starting this whole journey with Luke Not Luck. Has there been a day that stands out where it's just really tested you? Different days test me in different ways. I think that I guess keeping the confidence in myself that I can actually execute this kind of mammoth task essentially has been something that I've been trying to work on. And I guess my mum and my friends have really kind of helped to boost my confidence. It's like, if anyone could do it, you could do it. And I'm like, actually, nothing worthwhile comes easy. So I would be like, I don't feel like any problem is unsolvable. So when we are kind of faced with different challenges about how do we execute this? How do we do this? Like the chicken and egg situation with candidates. I'm like, there is a workaround. There is a way to do this. It has been done before in some way, shape or form. So we can work out how to do this. But actually believing that I'm the right person to execute it is something that has taken time. And I think once we do, I don't want to delay gratification. I'm very aware of the fact that sometimes you can say, oh, I'll be happy when we've reached a million in revenue. I'll be happy when we've reached here. I'll be happy when we have X amount of clients. I'll be happy when we've done this and you spend your whole life never being happy. So I don't want to do that. But I think that when it is a properly kind of up and running business with revenue where we can see the metrics and we can see the statistics, I'm like, okay, no one can deny that I haven't been able to do this, even myself. So I think that that self-belief is such a crucial component to being able to actually tackle those challenges. Absolutely. Like I resonate with that so, so much. And I think what you've just said, you know, it really goes to show how important it is to have people around you that genuinely are rooting for you and it doesn't have to be many for the most part I think most founders do have some kind of self-belief in there somewhere that you know they can do it you don't take on a challenge like you're taking on without some sort of like inner voice saying okay I've got this but then it obviously life gets in the way you know when you do have knockbacks from brands all of this like there is a bit of self-doubt there and then that confidence can ebb and flow so for me personally I mean yeah just it's invaluable having a few people that love you and are just like no 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 just stay focused you've got this 
Yeah, I completely agree because even though the whole idea of being a founder and all this other stuff, the narrative around that is that this person's done this on their own. But actually, there's always a support system around you that you've been able to lean back off or bounce ideas off of or who have given you a, a reframed perspective that has all led to you being able to do this. And I think that that leads into making sure that you can get balance because I'm such an all or nothing kind of person and having iterated this idea over the years and now we finally got it, it's clicked and okay, this is what we need to do. It's so difficult not to just spend all the hours of the day working on it, but it's actually the marathon and actually you need to make time to actually reciprocate those relationships and like spend time with people because you never know what you're going to get out of those situations even just having some fun with your mates and going for a walk in the park or do you know what I mean or just oh we were talking about our moms earlier like maybe spending an afternoon like doing gardening with your mum even if you don't particularly want to do it <laughs> it's not just a, a take relationship I think for those relationships to be really supportive it needs to be a, a mutually kind of beneficial one absolutely I couldn't agree more you have said, I had a little stalk on your Instagram and in your bio says, trying to do some good, which I love. <laughs> I am always really intrigued when there's a real, really big purpose driven mission behind a business. Like you said, you know, it is a bit different business that you're dealing with here. And there is a kind of underlying mission that's tackling like the systemic change we need to see. Like, how do you, or do you have any advice for anyone listening that, you know, sees a big problem and they want to fix it? What would you say to them in terms of having the confidence and the courage to tackle it? I think that you don't need to tackle absolutely everything in that problem at once. You break it down, you talk to people who have different experiences than you, and you solve one of the small little kind of knots in that big map of problems. And if you can solve one of those problems, that will have a ripple effect. So at the moment, we're kind of, if you think of the talent acquisition funnel, you have kind of awareness, interest, application, evaluation, and then you have hire. We're not solving every problem in that funnel. So like blind CVs and kind of blind recruiting and unconscious bias training, those are all tackling different problems within that flow. We're tackling the one right at the top, which is awareness. Actually, just a very simple problem, making sure these candidates know about the opportunity. Because actually, if they don't know, having your super swanky unconscious bias training that's been distributed across the entire company and your blind recruiting and all these other things like the people who you've done this for don't actually know about <laughs> are actually benefiting from those investments. So we're not solving every problem when it comes to institutional racism or institutional inequality or social mobility or recruiting or the ingrained nepotism within these industries. Like Those are such huge things that have been around for decades. I'm solving one problem within that web of a situation. But baby steps add up, right? Yeah, 100%. And once you've been able to solve one problem successfully, once you've got that stem kind of up to the top in terms of you are the expert in that particular strand, you can then very easily pivot across to different problems once you've got your centre kind of offering solidified. And also another piece of advice is just don't be deterred. All of these great businesses are solving problems. So don't let problems kind of intimidate you, like let them inspire and infuse you to actually work it out. I literally love that advice so much because that's the thing, isn't it? I think, again, when you do tackle big problems like that, then it suddenly becomes a case of, oh, but have you thought about this? But what about this? And are you going to do this as well? And it's a case of actually sometimes you have to just say, yes, I'm aware of that. But right now, this is my focus. 
I'll nail this bit and then I can always come on to that later but thank you very much you know like because everyone has opinions right and sometimes those opinions come from a really good place like a really enthusiastic place oh but you could do this you could do this and actually it's a case of whoa, whoa, whoa let's just scale it back and what am I trying to do here and what can I do with the resources that I've got you know when it's so easy to compare right to the businesses that are 10 years down the line and they've got x number of pounds in the bank and do you know what I mean it's you've got to really just be quite disciplined yeah yeah have any of your relationships evolved along the way you know you are 24 this is a big undertaking have you seen any friendships or relationships evolve for the better or worse as you've invested more time in Luke not luck yeah and actually for the better so I've never been the kind of person who has one like friendship group or one batch of girls I've always had lots of individual friends who are all so different who I kind of spend like one-on-one time with and actually never had like a proper boyfriend because I guess I'm like it's such a big time commitment unless I feel like this person is someone that really helps me become a better version of myself and vice versa I don't necessarily feel like I want to invest that time in someone but I have now got a boyfriend (laughs) And it's just, it's such a good and such a healthy relationship. And I think the fact that we're both working on our own businesses, oh, this is a chance for me to plug his business. I so, do. <laughs> any chance I get. So he's got a Black History trivia card game. There's actually no, no other Black History trivia card games in the world. So he's a big history fanatic. And he went to live in America on a tennis scholarship and studied there and realised that actually types of history that we learn about, it's all kind of slavery focused. And actually there's such a wealth of Black history out there that people aren't necessarily aware of and thought of a really fun, interesting way for people of every different community and every different colour to find out about all these different figures. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's actually live. It's available to buy that right now. It's called Noir Historia. Noir start with an E at the end. And yeah, it's a Black History Trivia card game. And the first edition is focusing on all the first. So all the first people to kind of break barriers and do things across different industries, genres and stuff like that. That's amazing. I mean, I studied history and politics, so I feel like that is right up my street. In terms of like the relationship side, though, like, I mean, I was classic. All the girls used to take the mick out of me. I was a constant butt of every joke, being the single one, blah, you know. But I always said, like, I just don't want to settle. I don't want to settle. Like, I don't want to be in any old relationship, blah, 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 blah. And obviously, like, yeah, that obviously changed when I met my partner. But it is so true who you spend time with and really taking the time to find that healthy relationship and one that genuinely, like, adds something as opposed to just, I guess, tolerating it. And it's so worth being single, right? I'd much rather personally on a personal level be single than it be in the wrong relationship. But I guess there's a lot of pressure nowadays to tick all the boxes. Yeah, I mean, nobody's ever perfect. But I think if you understand your non-negotiables, it's kind of like business, I guess. If you understand what you're willing to compromise on and what you're not, then it's a lot easier to make the decisions and for you to attract the right type of person. So sometimes I think that different friends of people who find themselves in unhealthy relationships is that they're not focusing on the right things. So for me, it's someone who, even though I'm 24, like I want to see that I could see them being a good father because I feel like I've had lots of conversations with my mum about this. But I think that even if you get married, you can get a divorce, but who you choose to have a child with, that is a relationship that can never be severed. And I don't know, I think that that's probably one of the biggest decisions that if you do become a mother, who do you want to choose to become a mother that you can make in your life that actually you think that they would be a good kind of co-founder for your child (laughs) yeah absolutely 
Yeah, 100%. Good daddy material. Ambitious, funny. And I, for me, it's like being able to have a really good conversation and like openly just talk, whatever it is. I remember when I met my um, boyfriend, I'm going for a tangent, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but when we met, I remember just like, we'd just stay up talking like all night and still like, he's my favorite person to talk to, but from a business perspective, he just gets it. And like, when we're talking about confidence a few moments ago, it's things like, if I have a knock to my confidence, he goes to me, he's like, I'm not even worried for you. Like, I'm not worried. And it's just having someone that just gets you and believes in you. You know, that's why I always am very aware when I talk to people and when challenges come up, if you are surrounded by people that aren't rooting for you to win, you know, I'm such an advocate for like, walk away. Don't surround yourself with that. 100%. It's really important to have those people who, when you are doubting yourselves, just to have that confidence in you. And I feel like so many of my friends have that confidence in. I'm just like, I would wish you good luck, but you don't need it. You've got this. And I'm like, well, I need to try and have that confidence in myself and having those people around you who are also kind of making moves and doing different things and inspiring you with what they're doing with their life is a really good environment to be in because you're all pushing each other and you're all working towards different but similar in some way goals. Absolutely. I'm very aware that I was the classic person that mentioned your age at the beginning of this podcast, but I did a campaign which you can she did last summer, where we kind of talked about the unconscious bias, or in some cases, very, very conscious bias that female business owners have had to face when they've announced that they were launching a business. And one of the ones that comes up so regularly is, aren't you a bit young? Like, aren't you a bit young to run a business? And I'm really intrigued if you've ever felt that or felt any kind of cynicism around you or had any kind of uncomfortable energy from anyone when you've said what you're setting out to do? Not anything that I can actually think of off the top of my head. There are people that are natural cynics, I guess. I actually saw a tweet and it was like <laughs> something something about, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it now. But it's, <laughs> it's not always plain devil's advocate. Sometimes you might just be the devil. <laughs> I love that. You don't always have to play devil's advocate and like think of all the things that could possibly go wrong about it, all the things that you haven't thought about. But in terms of my age, I haven't had anyone say that to me in terms of you're too young. When I'm talking to businesses and stuff, I think sometimes it's quite hard for people to tell my age because I guess I could be in my 30s, but then I could also... Sometimes it's really hard for you to tell your age. I don't necessarily look old, I hope. You do. But I could be, you guess what I mean? So I guess if I don't bring it up and I kind of project a mature aura, then it doesn't necessarily, I hope, cross people's minds. Yeah, no, great answer. Okay then, so you're gearing up to launch the app in July. Have you thought about how you were going to maintain your energy post-launch? Because I've had so many conversations and just from personal experience as well, when there's so much pressure and such a giant do list leading up to a launch and kind of getting that momentum, et cetera, et cetera, what post-launch looks like and how you're going to, yeah, just keep up the incredible work that you're doing. Well, at the moment, I'm still working full time at a fintech startup. So at some point, I'm going to need to drop that. I guess hopefully this shouldn't be the way that I'd hand in my resignation, but hopefully they haven't listened this long. But yeah, so I'm going to need to make sure that I am 100% dedicated all my time to this. And I think that that will be a a huge catalyst and a huge motivator because I'm obviously not going to be paying myself the same salary that I'm on at the moment. And it's about, okay, really, this is the leap of faith. And this is us kind of making sure that we get it off of the ground properly. So that kind of necessity in my own circumstances is going to be 
I know I work best under pressure. So if I've put myself in a situation where I have to make it happen, I will make it happen to service these clients properly. And I'm just so like, it's my top priority to make sure that these clients have absolute rave reviews and we actually solve the problem that we're out here trying to tackle. So yeah, I I can't foresee any kind of lack of motivation. It's like what I've been working towards and actually what I was thinking about when I was 11 in terms of, okay, I can actually, like this can actually be my full-time job in terms of like solving problems for a living and thinking of creative solutions like it's actually happening and I'm just so like excited about it that I guess maybe there might be actually no there won't be I don't think there'll be a lull in my motivation and energy to get it done it's actually just really really exciting so yeah I I don't foresee any kind of post launch lack of like energy and motivation I think it's just about really kind of ramping it up and making sure that we keep the momentum and the trajectory looking up love that so much I always end with some statements. So I will start and I would like you to finish them, please, Sydney. Number one, being my own boss means? Having the power to change the world. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to? Take a deep breath and realise it's not the end of the world. Yeah. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I would say that I am? Motivated. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. Think less, do more. Yeah, that's good. No one said that, but that's so true. And very lastly, I'm looking forward to this. I want my legacy to be that. I helped to positively change people's lives. I feel like you already are. Oh, honestly, I am so looking forward to seeing where this goes. I just have no doubt that you're absolutely going to smash it because it's such a needed thing that you're doing. And it's one of those things. It's like, how has this not been done before? Which is always a good sign. So yeah, I'm rooting for you every step of the way. I can't wait. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Pleo once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers, I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses. So I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to pleo.io now and make sure to mention the she can she did podcast on your demo the link's in the show notes now i cannot wait to hear what you think thank you so much for listening to that episode if you happen to enjoy it please do feel free to subscribe rate review tell a friend etc etc i'm sure you know how it works by now but it really does help to give the series a little boost and i for one would be so unbelievably grateful for now though have a lovely day and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode (music) 